Welcome to the Walpole High Film Festival's podcast, One Point Perspective, a podcast that explores the world of digital filmmaking and talks to young aspiring filmmakers in high school, college, and beyond. Now here are the hosts of the show, Mike Allen and James Conley. All right, welcome back to another episode of One Point Perspective, Walpole High School's number one podcast. We are thrilled to have Matt Ferrara join us today. Matt Hi. is okay. Welcome, Matt. Uh, class of 2006, he was part of that first generation of the festival that really got it up and running, and he has been coming back ever since, checking in, helping crews out. Um, so it's been really nice. Really, we've been waiting to get this one. Um, so Matt, welcome. I'm super happy to be here, and um. I, I had my Facebook hacked, so I think I need to reconnect because I feel like there's a lot of stuff I missed, such as this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, Matt Ferrara, legend uh, of the film festival. We've been waiting. He's our white one of our white whales to get. And probably the two students, former students who are probably more responsible for keeping this going are like in this podcast right here. <laughs> Matt Ferrara and James Conley right here. Brought them together. I mean, there are definitely there are definitely a few others, you know, that that come to mind. But uh, at, in its fledgling stages, Matt Ferrara like did so much to keep us going and and push us to to innovate and stuff like that. So let's go way back to our uh, to your oh, let's see, your junior year. Uh, Matt, because I believe that's when you got involved in the festival. But like, what what what? What brought you to the festival? Do you remember? At the time, I had some friends and, you know, we were like skateboarding and like paintballing. And I think somebody got a camera, you know, like for Christmas. So as little kids, we were always kind of messing around with cameras and, and videos and sort of, you know, doing what nerds do, doing nerd stuff. I think I discovered it via some folks I was in a study class with. I think I like kind of overheard it and, you know, th there was talk of we went to a theater and, you know, we did this and my ears kind of perked up and I was like, what now? I'm pretty sure that's how I heard about it. All right. So that was kind of a strange year because I know you were in the, the, the creative writing class and that's where, let's see, what did you write your junior year? Did you write anything junior year? I know you were in... I know what you did last semester, but you didn't write that. that was, no, that I, was I didn't nice. write that. I, I think I wrote some stuff that um, that didn't quite make the cut. I was a little traumatized from the poetry exercises, and I think that really <laughs> carried over into my <laughs> screenplay writing. Um, I don't think I was firing on all cylinders at that point. Understandable. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure anything I wrote my junior year actually got picked up and, and manifested or not. I don't think it did. Yeah. So you were an actor and I know what you did last semester. That was kind of your, your first foray into the festival. That year was a tough year, that, that, that third year, because I had to do creative writing and film at the same time. If you remember that, you guys were like in the computer lab, which is, which is now my classroom. That's because Mr. Russo had left. And so I had to do both at the same time. So I would like say basically say all right you guys need to do this <laughs> then go to my creative writing class and just hope that those guys were doing it i i mean for the most part they did i mean you got andrew niss jen driscoll like that that crew yeah and landry. uh well landry came back in yeah was he um, gone at that point yeah i forget how much older he, than me yeah he's a couple of years he's three years older than you oh okay 
Yeah. Also, but, Russo, um, if you're listening, not forgiven. Yeah. No, never. So that was that was you know, and it's funny because that was your third year. You were an actor, and then talk about you know your senior year making the most out of your senior year we always tell the kids like you know it's your senior year you know make the most of it do do as much as you can i mean you did pretty much everything your senior year and that jump from year three to year four i think and i still talk about this that's the biggest jump the festival's ever made in terms of like production you know i think we figured out what worked in a screenplay and we figured out a lot with regards to like production, the production end of it and the post-production end of it. Was that the first year that we did like the the posters at the scale that we did? Yeah, that was your idea. Yeah, it, we, we really leaned in heavy to Photoshop and like... You taught me how to do Photoshop and you were responsible for most of the posters fourth year. You did most of them and I think I did one. Or something like that. You you were like took me under your wing. It's like, look, this is how you do this. This is before YouTube videos were were out or anything like that. And I was like, okay. And yeah, that you, you were largely responsible for those posters. Took you took on that responsibility. You obviously acted in that uh, in King Bully. You wrote King Bully senior year. You also famously came up with uh, having fruits. Did you remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. Because I, okay. I, I think I think we were riffing off of um, you know Mac OS doing the the like cats at that point right like they were still on weren't they still- they were doing cats yeah and I was like oh we'll just assign each crew a color and you were like make you should make them fruits I was like that's boring and then and then that's that's I think Amy Stott was like right there and she was like we want to be raspberry and that's that's how raspberry was born infamous ra- I, I yeah. ironically I don't even remember what fruit uh, I edited on I can't remember do you for King Bully yeah King Bully no I, I'd have to look it up I know that I know I Scott bought was watermelon was that year was 06 was that the first year that the auditorium was finished and no. they were able to do so, the, the right carpet at scale or no? Was it the year before? Year. Okay. That made a huge difference. Like that, that auditorium being done and, and the red carpet and, you know, in oh. addition to the, the, the posters, you know, got people excited. And um, De Silva had a, a lot to do with that huge jump that year too. You know, I, I feel like we sort of, we pushed each other to really like take big swings, um, you know, with our writing and with our concept and, you know, not be shy of, you know, well, to do that would require a crowd of, you know, like 50 people. And we're like, let's get, we, it's a school. We get 50 people. Let's get 50 people. Like, yeah. For the record, you guys were orange, just for the record. Thought the so. Two, two orange crews, too, if you notice that. Mm-hmm. It's also gray matter was orange, too. That's right. I just picked that up. We designated it by computer, and, and um, Jeff Walker had to use your computer. Right. So we, so he was orange. And he was basically a one-man crew, almost. So, yeah. He he kept that orange for the next year, too. Old brother. And uh, anyway, so you... It, I, that was a huge jump. And I just remember that spring, like, having I, Scott Bod and King Bully and, and Squeaking of the Chairs, like, all those big movies that in my mind just was just a huge jump in terms of quality and you know being mr giblin and and i'm not i'm not gonna forget karma either 
Um, how could you? Yeah. No, in all those movies, and and how excited I don't know you you were just like me, like as excited like we we knew we had this like great festival coming, you know, and you were. I remember you just being excited of all the movies, not your movie, like just all the the great movies coming, mm-hmm. and and then plotting and scheming all these TSTs at the last minute. Remember doing that? Clockwork oh. bananas. Oh, so Clockwork Bananas is the song that that's the song we we were trying to think about that the other, the other day. That's 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 no, that's a few years in the future from from that. Uh, you're thinking the the one that we came up with was, was the Hubbard Code. Oh, that's right. The Hubbard Code. Yeah. Matt and, Matt and I came up with the Hubbard Code, and he, he did the Photoshop. We had to use, I want to say, motion, not After Effects, but like motion for like a lot of the effects. And literally just Matt and I were the only two people who knew that that trailer was going to go. Nobody, nobody else. Had in the, no, so you were you, you never had him. came to me, and you were like, you, and you, well, you told me about that, and I go, he does this? I'm like, this is someone, there's a teacher in this school that does this and you were explaining it to me. And I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'm like, we got to do this. You can find the Hubbard code. It's, it's an Easter egg on, on the uh, website. It's one of the best trailers we've ever done. And uh, just so everybody knows, you know, Toby Hubbard was a legendary English teacher. He was retiring that year and he had developed this grading system. This is a true story a grading system for his, in particular, his AP class uh, seniors so that nobody really understood it. It was like check plus minus high pass, low pass, so that there would never be any complaints about for grades because the kids had no idea what was going on. And that's that's an honest to God true story. An alleged system. There's a good chance that he was making that up per person, yeah. per paper. We actually got a picture of the grading system it was like on his board and I took a picture. I was like, that's not etched in like marble somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Like- <laughs> and the best part is we, he went to the festival. Amazingly. He had gone to the festival that red carpet night with his family. And that came on and his daughter turns to him and says, dad, I think this is about you. <laughs> and he probably didn't, he probably, he's probably like impossible. <laughs> No, he got it at the end, but like as soon as like the grades start coming up, she's like, "I think this is about you," and he's like, "What? <laughs> how could how could this be?" <laughs> and you like photoshopped the Mona Lisa, his face on the Mona Lisa. Oh God, it was good. That would be, I mean, that that honestly, that that would be such a great script to to resurrect. Yes. So this, you guys are also really kind of the not not the first. I mean, Coleman and Landry, and there were others that went on to film school, Driscoll. But you guys were, you guys got some press about it, definitely, uh, that you guys had inspired by the film festival going on to film school. So talk about that. Talk about film school and, and what you learned there. And, and if, if we always ask the same question, like, is it worth it? You know, for me personally, it was worth it. Um, reason being, I didn't have any connections. I didn't have, you know, and this is 2006, right? So like Facebook, you still need a .edu email. It's college only on Facebook. So Facebook was not nearly what it is today. Social media, networking, access, all of those things were just like in the primordial stages on the internet. You know, the iPhone was not out, right? Like that wasn't a thing yet. So finding access and getting in 
was a lot harder um, than it is now. And, you know, the, the kind of legendary stories of like Spielberg hopping fences to like get on set and, you know, all those kind of urban legends. It's like, yeah, you, I mean, that's what you had to do. You either had to know someone or you had to like figure it out. <laughs> so for me, you know, and I, I didn't have any of that. And, and Boston was, you know, it was a film town sort of, but not like it is now. Um, the industry has taken off a lot since then in Boston. So for me, it was worth it. Um, I made great connections. One of my uh, student colleagues from my first college in Ohio, um, his name is Stephen Capel. He just directed the Transformers movie, the most recent Transformers. He directed Creed uh, in Creed 2. He's a great dude. Like He's crushing it. Um, I met him in, in film school. I still touch base with some of my professors from Fitchburg State, which is where I finished. So for me personally, it was worth it. Um, I got hands-on equipment. They had access. They had resources. There was networking. I went to California to intern at a production company slash rental house slash live AV vendor. So I learned a ton of super valuable, dangerous skills there about equipment management. And, you know, the live sector is obviously totally different than, you know, filmmaking, but principles of audio and video and, you know, equipment management, really valuable stuff there. Learned a ton about, like, I just, I learned a lot from college, from my time in the, the three colleges that I went to. And so for me, it was, it was really worth it um, because I didn't have any of those things. And what, what were the three for, for everybody? So uh, the first school I went to was Baldwin Wallace College. I believe it's Baldwin Wallace University now. It's in Ohio. I went there for a couple of years and um, I had a lot of fun there. I had some really awesome classes, some really great film study classes, um, film history and others. At the time, it didn't feel a lot like it wasn't production heavy. You know, it was sort of kind of study and sort of theoretical. And I, I it wasn't as hands on at the time. You know, I, I really can't speak to what the program is like now. It's you know, 10 plus years later. Um, but it wasn't I, I was there for two years and I just felt my hands getting bored. So I left there. Um, I went to Mass Art for a semester. You know, that was like a complete 180 experience. It was totally different. Baldwin Wallace is like a liberal arts, you know, air quotes, college experience type thing, dorm rooms, the whole thing, the campus. Mass art is totally different. It's like in the city. There's no sort of core curriculum. It is an art school for artists. And that is all you do. And that wasn't really my vibe either. I don't know. I, I can't really explain why I just I, I feel like I didn't fit in there. You know, I I think I asked a question about if there were any sports teams and like the, like the class laughed at me and I was like, ah. okay, bye. So then I, uh, I went to Fitchburg state, you know, which at that point, college number three, it was a bargain, but also they had a great reputation for their uh, internship program, excellent placement, like really reputable places and, and connecting people with some serious industry folks. So I went three years there and I studied film instead of video which I is one of the smartest things I've ever done is chosen to study film instead of video, you know, hand cutting eight millimeter film on like the reel to reel and like, you know, taping it with the glue and the like the mm -hmm. thing. I can't remember all the technical terms for the equipment, but shooting 50,000 feet of film and like sending it to Connecticut to get developed and like holding your breath for two weeks, hoping it's in focus. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, there, there's just, there were so many, 
painstaking lessons and disciplines that I felt really sharpened me and made me a lot more dangerous having worked on film that just the stakes are so much higher. And I found that to be a really super valuable uh, experience for me, like moving into out of college into the industry. Yeah. And then after college, take a, I know you've had your hands in a bunch of different areas with, with regards to the industry. So take us through some of that, some of those uh, highlights there to, to kind of where you are now. Yeah. So, you know, I finished my internship in California and I did some work out there for as long as the money I had would let me, which quickly became not enough as California tends to do. It takes all your money. And I came back and, you know, just at that point, the internet was a little bit, you know, more developed. Social media had really changed and there were a lot more opportunities and tools for networking and access. So I found some some staffing services here in you know Boston where you know you it's like three hundred bucks a month and you you're in a Rolodex and you you know you you are you say specifically what you're interested in and what you think you're good at and where you want to go and the kind of stuff you want to do and you know the email comes you know four day PA gig on you know some film shooting up in New Hampshire and I'm like send it let's go. Um, so I started doing that and commercial work and, you know, it's, I mean, it's very much networking. It's very much, you get on set, you do a good job, you meet some cool people. They remember you, you remember them. Um, you call them, they call you and, you know, it, it very, it's inertia, you know, like it can be really hard to get that boulder rolling, but once you do the if you if you know what you're doing and you're passionate and you work hard, then you know gravity will take you like to the next gig and to the next gig and to the next gig. This recent one that we showed happened to show this year. What is uh, I forget the show's official name there. The, the, Brave the, Wilderness. Yeah, Brave Wilderness. That so that's like like to speak to what you were saying before. Like obviously that whole platform didn't exist in 2006. You know a YouTube essentially a YouTube channel. And you're working, you're working for them and uh, all around the world. Yeah. You, you know, like <laughs> nowadays, if you raise your eyebrows and go, did you know you can make money on YouTube? Like people are like, yes, we have known that. But, you know, you, you're right. Like going into college and, and even coming out of college, that was still, I want to say when I graduated college, it was 12. So YouTube was definitely a thing. But I, I think monetizing and really making money as a creator on YouTube, I think that was, there was like maybe a handful of folks that were really hip to that. I, you know, don't quote me. I'm not an, I'm definitely not an expert on that historical stuff, but yeah, I mean that, that, that brave wilderness channel, um, you know, that was a, a, a totally different experience. It's very streamlined. It's very no frills. Everybody is wearing multiple hats. You know, when, when the success of the company and your paycheck depends on a video's performance, on a platform like YouTube, then your your bottom line and cost to production is completely different, you know, than say a, a studio that you know is gonna a production house that's gonna invest X Y Z in making your script or something like that. You know, it it was just lean and mean, like be as dangerous as you can. Like how many how many things can one person do? Can you run audio? Can you shoot? You know, can you carry sticks on your back? Like because, you know, we're flying to Australia and it's 33 hours. So, like, make it light. <laughs> so, 
unless the lesson there is, you know, the more hats you can wear, the better. Uh, I think one of the things we keep talking about on this podcast is students go to film school and they're like, I just want to, you know, a lot of times it's like, I want to direct, you know, or I want to act. Or, and then we keep telling them like, you need to explore other avenues and, and you know, be skilled in other areas because you're not going to come out of film school and direct. And now, now you're off to uh, the business sector, right? And you're going down to Nashville. Yeah. So I'm, I'm moving down to Nashville and, you know, um, like what you mentioned about being good at multiple things and wearing multiple hats. I mean, there, there's generally two directions you can go. You can be a specialist or you can be a generalist. You can be dangerous and good at many things. You can, you know, master lenses in camera technology and also edit. And then you, you open the door to finding your own work and clients and then bringing that project home, you know, rather than sending it to an editor. You know, it, it all really depends on what you want to do. You totally can be a specialist too. You totally can be, you know, like a Wyman, like a cinematographer, you know, and, and just like laser in on that one specialty and like really work hard on, on climbing that ladder. So, it, you know, there, there's no right way. I just find that I, it's more interesting to me personally to be able to shift gears and do multiple things, you know, to work in post, to do some light animation, to do some editing, to do some shooting. And, you know, eventually I, I started to take what I was learning out in the production world and I would bring it to, you know, companies looking to hire somebody in-house to basically do their video production needs, sales enablement, marketing stuff, learning content, demos, if it's, you know, software and they make a product like that. Um, so I've, I've had a handful of jobs where I've done that as well. And, and that's my next gig down in Nashville is um, some really cool, some really fun bankers in in many ways remind me a lot of us in those early days of the film festival they do these really fun videos for their customers where they all act in it and they all they get their customers to act in it and you know they premiere it at a sort of oh, yeah yeah like it and, and you know they it they write them themselves and they you know they come up with the costumes and the locations and like they do a they do a better job than most just folks picking up a camera with ambition would do. And they're looking to really launch that to the next level and, and kick up their sort of brand marketing um, to the next level. So they, they decided to hire in-house and they found me. That's great. That's perfect. Like, I, I think, you know, if you can find a spot where you can be cre have that creative, creative freedom and you know, in, in work for people that have are similarly minded, that that's the key. One of the things I do want to kind of circle back to is I, I mentioned at the top of this, you, there's been others, of course, just helping out, like coming back and helping us out in particular, like there was, and by the way, this has been going on for, I don't think it's ever stopped, to be honest. <laughs> you know, like I, I will send something off to him a lot of times it's like Photoshop stuff. I'm like, can you do this? I mean, he, Matt literally did the, the annual poster from years four through 13. And like, I would just be like, Hey, we need one, something like this. And then bam, it was only when I think, you know, the, right now the AP graphic design class does it. So, you know, which has been great. That relationship's been awesome. That's what we have strived for is to get other classes involved. So they do it. They do the posters now. And now we have an old student teaching that class. Uh, one of our one of our great directors, uh, Mr. Conlon, 
he's he's doing that now. So I just remember you coming back and uh, as a producer, you know, coming back to help out. That's where Clockwork Bananas comes from, by the way. <laughs> so that would be what year? That was 08, I think. Yes, year six. Right, because you came back and you, you were instrumental with Nick, with Nick Pick. Who loved Nick Pick. Also yeah, working it, with us. He's working with us now. He's he's now doing. He works at Walpole Media, and he does all the behind the scenes now. And he's been unbelievable. This is you know. this is your this has been your plan all along, isn't it? It Mike? seems Chief like Faber. it. It's the seems farm like system. It. Yeah, yeah. You was instrumental with with that cranberry crew and dropouts. I just remember you being all excited. I mean, you took them un under your wing. Dropouts was so much fun. That's uh yeah, that's special place in my heart, dropouts. Yeah. And then you remember we came up with the TST mopped. That was you. Oh, mopped. The the taken <laughs> parody. Nick, Nick Pick gets stuck in the school after it closes for like spring break and the the janitors are waxing all the floors and he like steps in the wax and the janitors like hunt him. You came up with that. You came up with mopped and you guys filmed it in literally like two hours. And <laughs> and it was done. We called the janitors and we were like, is there any way you could let us in? And they're like, no. And I was like, please. And they were like, okay. I'm like, yeah, really? <laughs> well, keep in mind, your mother your mother was probably pulling some strings for you. Your mother worked at the you school. Know, you, so. you really didn't have to do that, Mike. You really didn't. <laughs> you got it done and it was classic. And then uh, and then you came back in as Leroy, right? In Cranberry's Crusade, the producer, which is classic um, because it's so meta. You know, Cranberry's Crusade is might be the most beloved movie that we've made. Like that's the that's the one that most film like really like dedicated directors my past uh, from from that year on have all said that that's the funniest. That's that's my favorite or whatever. And and I just love it because like the thing that people don't realize about that movie is it's largely based on like what happened <laughs> it's like you know they take you as the producer coming in obviously like and, th and then you come in you decide to be australian that's like just a decision that you made out of nowhere <laughs> for no reason no reason you're just australian there must have just been something completely irrelevant <laughs> and like tangible that had nothing to do with it that i was like that's a detail that must be included <laughs> Yeah, because they had really tried to make that movie uh, a couple years ago, that Knights movie. So it was it was just all like too funny. That that was in instrumental that year, and uh, and then just you know coming back throughout the years, like whatever whatever we needed, we could we knew we could count on you to to get it done. And, you, and he you would just text or text me randomly and be like, "What do you need? I know it's coming up. You need anything?" Yeah. <laughs> And I, you know, and you know, usually we did. As I, you know, as I work gigs and and learn stuff and put hands on new equipment, you know, there's there's always that little voice that's in the back of my head that's like, this would make it so much easier, you know, for some of the kids, you know, some of the the younger folks doing their first movies, like in those early classes, like, I'm like, oh, if they get their hands on this, that'd be really neat, you know, like that would, and those are the like. Those are the kind of things that, you know, talk talking about that big leap from 05 to 06, you know, we really pushed each other like with whatever tools we had, 
you know, to try to like take big swings, like I mentioned before. And it's like sometimes all it takes is like a little like, hey, check out this new gadget, you know, for some kids like eyes to light up and then the wheels start turning. And then, you know, so that's yeah, that's something that's all I'm always thinking of. Yeah, because you were like, you got to get a slider. We got a sliders. You got to get the crane. We got the crane. We, you know, all this stuff. You know, you know. Sometimes, uh, you know, we need to be pushed a little bit. It's like, you know, even now, James is getting a little older, and you know, some some new innovation comes out, and we're like, what is this? You know, and it's like, and sure enough, it's like, oh, you know, you, you just, I, I've kind of learned to just be like, all right, well we'll try it let's let's see how it works and i've also learned just to be like have the kids figure it out themselves because things change so quickly that's like all right you want it you got it go figure it out you know and now you gotta you gotta teach your crew how to use it right and you know equipment is a is obviously a huge part of of all of this you know like when you first got those those cannons and then first getting the final cut licenses that came on 400 Mm -hmm. easy to install discs um, you know, in right. the, the, <laughs> this is a, I don't know if, so for, for some younger folks listening, um, there used to be these plastic circles, right. And they had, they had information on them and you would have to put them into a special mouth on your computer that opened and would read what was on the plastic circle as wild. Yeah. And those, that's how you install the, the software. And fun fact, we actually have one of the last the last version of Adobe that was disc based. And I purposely got it. I was like, get the disc told whoever was getting it because I guarantee they're going to, they're going to, you know, update it. And then they're going to, you know, our computers aren't going to be able to handle the update. And if, as long as we have the disc, we'll be all right for, you know, five years, which was true. The equipment thing, like it's always changing. The technology is always evolving and it's always changing. And while it's, it's really cool and it's easy to get sort of lost in the gadgetry if that's your thing. You know, it, it's not a substitute for the fundamentals. So it's important that folks understand that all of these really cool pieces of technology that enable X, Y, and Z creativity, uh, like creatively speaking, it that needs to serve your narrative and it needs to serve the story that you're telling. You know, and, and if you focus too hard on working in this really piece of cool technology, you know, uh, filmmaking equipment into your story rather than making sure that your story is bulletproof. You know, that that's a little cart before the horse in in my personal opinion. So, yeah, I agree. All right. Well, we always ask our guests to uh, talk about their three favorite film festival movies that they were not involved in in any way. And also uh, three of their favorite Hollywood movies that they would recommend these students to watch. Okay. I mean, do the posters count as being involved in any way? Sure, I guess. You got about you got about two years to work off that. Right. <laughs> you get your hands on everything. Yeah, the posters won't count. No. See, the, the, my time when I was actually there and a student, you know, we, we all helped each other out and like kind of help, helped each other. But I mean, it, can I say Scott bought? Is that a valid entry? Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, wa- watching watching um, De Silva's like sort of, you know, mad scientist, like Dr. Robotnik brain, um, you know, like that. That movie was such a big swing. 
and it was and they they did such a great job with it and you know the some of the effects and and stuff that they you know limitations of the time and the tools that we had like god i i don't know who could have done a done a better job you know with that concept and and that scale of project than him and and will and those folks yeah um, so that it, that's definitely one of them for me i remember reading that script it's like one of the first of that year and it was like so unbelievably funny i sent it to russo immediately you got to read this and but like pulling that off was like going to be the biggest challenge that's the last movie shot on um non-digital that they they used the original camera that we had from the year one yep next up i guess i'm gonna go um i think i'm gonna go brouhaha yeah i thought i mean that was that's such a cult classic <laughs> it's like a it's like a Lebowski, you know, like type. It, it just it just made me laugh so much, and there were uh, those kids just had so much fun doing that. Like that was, uh, they weren't seniors, right? That wasn't a senior project. No, they were juniors, and those guys did had it uh, in just an unbelievable senior uh, year. That eighth year was like incredible, and a lot of those guys went on to make the mathlete, right which is another one of those movies that people point to. Fun fact about Brouhaha, and I was just talking to Mr. Conley about this. I don't know if you, you remember this, Matt. You were in it in the end. I don't know if you remember this, but like, you know, where their deadlines, it's the day of their deadline. And, you know, most, like most crews were, were there till nine o'clock. And at nine o'clock at night, the, 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 you get kicked out by the janitors and that's it movies either done or not and like time is running out and they had filmed a fight scene between phil groden's character and al brown and it's like you know legendary fight scene they can't find the footage and to this day they've never found the footage there's conspiracy theories that they never actually hit the record button but we spent at least two hours going through all the tapes to try to find it. And, and finally, McGuill's like, I don't think he ever hit record. No, so he did. It's it's Al. Al yeah. scrubbed it. Yeah, Al scrubbed it. But how funny would that have been? Al is uh, right now in some dimly lit office somewhere, like in a recliner, lazy boy, with his fingers together, chuckling under his breath, watching the footage still to this to this day yeah he stole the footage uh al is at johnson and uh already he helped us out last year when he had a johnson a shoot in johnson so i had to email him and uh, he's still helping the film festival great guy that's you know uh criminals often return to the scene of the crime so i'm not surprised <laughs> by that at all so i think my i think my last entry is um adorn of the dance nice that's i think that's the second time that's been mentioned right yeah. So it, the the reason for that being uh, my last pick is, you know, whenever I tell folks about the film festival in a time where so many programs like that are getting cut, you know, it, the fact that it's still going like the, the fact that like you and Russo and like a handful of like nerds in a study like willed this into existence and now you couldn't stop it if you tried. I mean, a, a global pandemic couldn't kill it. So um you know which I, all this vaccine business just do the film festival that thing's unkillable but i'm thank you um but no you know i i think adorn of the dance is is it's such a representational film because the 
the film festival brings kids together, you know, in a time where high school is very clicky and, you know, separatist and it can be a really hard time for folks and it can be a really hard place to make friends and find yourself. And I think part of the magic of the film festival is, is the togetherness and the sort of breaking down of those walls and barriers and, you know, kids that play sports and kids that are great at art and kids that all, you know, fall into these stereotypical buckets, you know, and, and even some of the special needs kids and those films are amazing too. And, and I think Adorn, he was just such a funny dude. And like, there are, I think nine out of 10 times, you know, in high school experiences, like kids like that don't get that chance, you know, to yeah. really be who they are and network and make friends, you know, with folks the way that he did and, and shine like that. And I just think that that's just such a, it's such a representational, like flag waving project for what is the magic of the film festival. Well said too. I think that's, that's, that's perfect. Like perfectly sums up the film festival in one, one line. Um, I also, that one, you show somebody that poster and they're like, I am in, I don't even, I don't need to know anything about this. I am in (laughs) this movie is going to be gold. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a knockout poster. This, Oh yeah. yeah. Say no more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And now uh, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on, on the three Hollywood movies. Okay. This could be a hot take. um, But you know, I'm, uh, so I'm sort of thinking of, maybe some younger folks like listening for, you know, recommendations, the first paranormal activity, I would recommend, you know, folks watch that. And the reasoning behind that pick, um, I saw that film when it came out. Um, I sat in a packed theater with no uh, empty seats. And when I tell you when that film ended, rumor has it, there were some different versions played around the country, but the version I saw just ended like black screen and no credits. And it was about two minutes of like black silence. And then the house lights came up in the theater. And when I tell you that like 250 people or however many people a theater sits did not move for like another six minutes. It was one of the most incredible like cinema experiences I've ever seen in my life. I was like, I was sitting there with the biggest smile on my face going, this is amazing. Like yeah. no one in this theater yeah. is moving. They're terrified. <laughs> Yeah, they thought it was real. People thought it was real. It was similar. I I saw Blair Witch in the theaters, and that was very similar. I remember being in line. This is when it just came out. Being in line and and, and people to go into the theater and people talking about like what's you know happened to these people, like as if it was completely real. The lore around it and the the you know the they did a great job marketing, but you know the production cost of that film paranormal activity was somewhere in the like 10 or $12,000 range. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's opening weekend. It, it grossed like 10 million or something insane. It like, I mean, it's just pure ingenuity, pure vision. Like it just, I, I wouldn't even say, you know, pure talent because they, they paid for like two actors. <laughs> yeah. So, right. I mean, I guess to- absolutely talent in the sense that, like, you know, they they crushed that. Like, clearly, they crushed it. Um, I mean, there's a franchise after it, which you know, the recommendation does not extend to the, all of the sequels. Um, but <laughs> so, you know, just for for the brilliance and the simplicity of that film and how clear and focused their 
their direction and mission was that they were able to do it for so cheap and so efficient. And then to get the results that they got was like, uh, I, I don't think there's another film like it, maybe save Blair Witch. I had, um, just to piggyback on that, I had a almost a exact same experience, paranormal activity, pa- pack theater. And it was just because Bob Bunker and I showed up to the theater. <laughs> I want to say late to whatever movie we had planned on going. And he's like, I heard somebody talking about, I have no idea what it's about. We had no idea going in and we're like, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. It, it was awesome. But no, in the, the small budget, it's like they had a vision. Like you said, they made it happen. So right. Definitely a good, that's a great pick. Hmm. Um, second pick, um, I'm going to go uh, interstellar, you know, reason being for interstellar. Um, I mean, I'm sure you guys are hip to this, um, but a lot of the work that they did, with the VFX company generating some of the black hole imagery and um, you know the space effects, the their work was so thorough and so scientifically sound that a lot of a lot of it is now the standard like mathematical equations for the like for the industry for like theoretical physicists. <laughs> you know the, the, the render. I, I used to have the the numbers written down somewhere, but like the the render times per frame. Hmm. And like the cost per frame of rendering the, it was insane. It was, it took like a week to render a frame of those black uh-huh. hole sequences. And the, the, the physics of that 3d space um, that they were generating those graphics in is so accurate and so precise. And they, they worked with real scientists doing it. Um, I mean that like going back to Scott, like talking about big swings, and like doing it right. I mean, to, to set new scientific standard and precedent, like, you know, with the film that you're making is bananas. It's clockwork bananas. I should, we should probably tell that clockwork bananas story. When we went to original music, it was really difficult. You know, we, we needed a lot of help. There was no YouTube studio or anything like that. So we, we, I did have a, I, we bought a, um, program called uh, Sonic Fire that made uh, had pre- had loops, but these these were like really intricate, like it was entirely scored, and you could like take out instruments. It was really it's it's kind of a neat program, and one of them was called Clockwork Bananas, and it's like this goofy, t- just like you know oh oh something goofy's going on, on you know it was like the the Mr. Newbar with with uh, mustache uh, scene in Elwood's film, and uh, so anytime something was like we needed a laugh, it was like just chuck some clockwork bananas on it, and 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 that's it. You do remember that we were fighting, we we were coming up against that nine p.m. deadline. Yep, yeah. And so we were trying to get last minute, last minute scores done, last minute graphics in, and you know, that the custodians are like knocking on the door and they're like, you have yeah. to get out of the building. And we're like, not yet. And in order to get that song, you would be like, I need, cause you, you had, you could shrink it to fit the size. So you would be like, I need 20 seconds of clockwork banana. And I would have to go on this one computer with Sonic fire on it, shrink it to 20 seconds, download to an AIFF and then, and then like physically run it over with the, the the thumb drive and you would plug it in at one point you threw a thumb drive you were like yeah <laughs> just to get the clockwork banana and like and we used we would go back to it so often and that when ava 
made her film festival movie, you know, about the student trapped in a film festival movie three years ago. I told her, you have to use this. You have to use that track. It has to be in it somewhere. So she put it in there. But yeah, that's we still talk about Clockwork Bananas. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was the was was it the next day? Was day one like the next day of the sc- the screening? Yeah, we had a deadline. Like we were like you guys were an independent, and so they're always last. It was like a day or two later. Like we were right up against it. But we were. Uh, I think this was '08 though. I think this was after I had graduated and came back. Yeah, and I think oh, yeah. we were working on other like other kids' films, right? Like the Paul, right. like we were working with them, and it was like a it was like a surgery room. Like we're... girl, Collie Carolyn Collie still talks about this. She came in, she was sick, and like we wouldn't let her near the computer because she was like deadly. I was like, go sit over there, and like you you were editing it, and I was throwing the thing. That's how it all worked. She'll she'll remember that. James can ask. Yeah, that so that's Clockwork Bananas. And, Clockwork uh, Bananas right there. And became right, the theme so, song of Getting It Done. So, sorry for that. Uh, yeah, going off on the wrong path there. But all right, one more movie. No, that, yeah, that's okay. And um, I think my last pick is um, the original Arthur uh, with wow. Dudley Moore. It was like, what, 74? Something like that. That's, you know, it, it's obviously a very old film. So, you know, Technologically speaking, it might not be like the shiniest and, and flashiest, um, you know, because of the technology they had at the time. I mean, that's one of the films that like, as a filmmaker, there are there are times where you need an actor with a famous name because it's, you know, like a shoot 'em up revenge movie. And there's like 48 of those a year. And like, you just need a face that people have loyalty towards to sell the movie. There are other times as a filmmaker where you have a role that only this actor can do. And so you need that actor, you know, to, to be that character in a way yeah. that nobody else can. And Dudley Moore plays that role. So like it, I guess I'm taking the scenic route here, but I picked that film for it, the talent, like for just Dudley Moore being that character and, and being his amazing self in a way that nobody else could. And, you know, that is a huge part of filmmaking is and directing is getting the right talent and getting the right people to tell your story. I mean, I've seen that film probably 30 times and I laugh my butt off every single time I watch it because he yeah. is so damn funny in He's a way funny. that is timeless. He is the perfect role at the perfect time for him. That's 1981. Probably, sadly... That movie is, is the soundtrack to that movie has outlasted the film. Like Christopher Cross, his song, and um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's one that's been that's been lost. I think uh, some of the old timers still remember that movie. But uh, yeah, that was a big movie. That's a film about a a a billionaire, like a like a a playboy born into a billionaire family who is kind of a, a screw up, and. Uh, you know, he has to marry a woman of a prominent family that he doesn't want to marry or else he's going to get cut off from the money. And then he meets Liza Minnelli, who is like a sort of blue collar, working class love of his life. And, you know, comedy ensues. Well, I can't believe we, we got Matt. I mean, uh, we reconnected a little bit earlier, maybe like uh, 
few months back, out of the blue, I get a phone call from or text from Ferrara. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> and uh, yeah, because like we always talk about, oh, we need to get Ferrara on this. You know, there's there's a few people like you're a huge one because you were there. Like I said at the beginning, you were there for that three four jump, um, which is great. Like we still got to get Landry. We still got to get Coleman. Because there's a few others that we still got to get from the those early years. Yeah, I mean, your insights are always great. And um, hopefully you get back on the Academy this year. It's been a few years off. So I can send you those films. You can vote on them if you have the time. They're a lot shorter now. And you, and you can have the time, I think, to, to get it done. It's uh, I've had a really busy and kind of hectic and fluid professional life for the last couple of years. Um, but I see things settling down and normalizing, you know, in this, in 2023 and, you know, not, I don't want to say having the time because the truth is not making the time, you know, for, uh, to be on the Academy. And then, you know, having that become a habit is, uh, it's a regret of mine. So if you'll have me, I would love to be back on the Academy. Oh, it's always a spot, always a spot. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and doing this. This was awesome. And uh, I'm so glad you guys are doing this. And um, if if there's anything I can help with, you know, you got my phone number. I'm never going to change it. It's going to be my number forever. So call me, text me, send a Raven, um, do whatever you need to do. And um, I'm, I'm always here to help. All right. We Thank appreciate you. that. Thanks, Matt. All right. See you, folks. You've been listening to Walpole High Film Festival's podcast, One Point Perspective.